Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Trump Inc. fans, it's Andrea Bernstein. We're busy putting together season two of Trump Inc. It's going to launch next month. But in the meantime, we're bringing you an update on a big story we worked on last spring. Remember this one? And I'll do anything to protect Mr. Trump, the family, now Vice President-elect Pence, as well as the campaign. I'd like to keep myself in that little circle of extremely loyal people. To try to understand Michael Cohen's life, we're going to follow his paper trail. So many of the people around him have been disbarred, disciplined, or arrested year after year. Some have been convicted. Cohen has never even been accused. Well, as of a Tuesday afternoon in late August, that's no longer true. In a courtroom in New York, Cohen pleaded guilty to eight felony counts, including tax fraud, lying to a bank, and campaign finance violations. The same hour he was pleading guilty, some 200 miles to the south, a federal jury was reading back charges against someone else who was very important to Donald Trump, his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Also eight counts, also bank and tax fraud. The day after these dramatic developments, my Trump Inc. podcast co-host Ilya Maritz and I talked with WNYC's Brian Lehrer for a live radio segment breaking down these court actions and their implications. It's going to sound a little different from the way Trump Inc. usually does, but we thought you'd be interested. And don't forget, we'll be back with season two next month, so keep an eye on your podcast feed or sign up for our newsletter at trumpincpodcast.org. Meantime, here's the conversation. It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. And so we woke up today with President Donald Trump accused in Michael Cohen's guilty plea of having directed Cohen to make felony illegal campaign contributions to silence women to help Trump win the election. Out of everything that's been said in the last day, here's probably the most important part, and it's from the plea deal itself in writing that Cohen admitted to paying hush money to porn star Stormy Daniels in 2016, quote, at the direction of the candidate, unquote. So what a twist in the road we thought we were all on. Right. For the last year, they've been investigating Russia, really more than a year, to see if they made illegal campaign contributions to help Trump win the election. As it turns out, Trump himself directed illegal campaign contributions to help him win the election, according to Michael Cohen. They've been investigating whether Trump conspired with the Russians. As it turns out, Trump conspired with his own fixer, directing Cohen to break the law to help Trump win. And remember, in case you're doubting it, Cohen released a tape recording of Trump doing it. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and, spoken, me, and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up uh, with so what are we funding. That, uh, yes. Um, and it's all the yeah, stuff, all the stuff, because, you know, you never know where that company, no, you never know what he's going to be. Correct. So I'm, I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be... Listen, what financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, pay, okay. no, 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 no. I got 
no, no, no. Paying in cash. Trump said, no, 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 said Michael Cohen. This is regarding, as he said at the beginning of the clip, our friend David, that's David Pecker, who owns the National Enquirer. It was through that that the hush money was paid to bottle up Karen McDougal's claim of having an affair with Trump. So there's no denying at this time, no saying there was no collusion. There was collusion and there was direction by Trump to commit crimes to illegally influence the election. And had these women not been silenced through these illegal campaign donations, or if the criminal cover-up of the payments that Cohen has now admitted to had become known before election day, would a few thousand people have voted differently in Pennsylvania or in Wisconsin or Michigan? We'll never know, right? But the legitimacy of the election, the election results now becomes a question based on established facts about the president's involvement in campaign crimes, not just something Robert Mueller is investigating. And here is one potentially significant reaction. It's a tweet from New York Times conservative columnist Brett Stevens, significant if this becomes a widespread conservative sentiment. He writes, I've been skeptical about the wisdom and merit of impeachment. Cohen's guilty plea changes that. The president is clearly guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. He should resign his office or be impeached and removed from office. So that's a tweet from New York Times conservative columnist Brett Stevens. So what happens next? How does the president get held accountable, if at all, by the Congress, which has the sole power to do so, if they don't take Brett Stevens' suggestion directly or by the voters in midterm congressional elections? How should Democrats or Republicans make this a factor in their campaigns? Later in the show, we'll ask one Democratic congressman in a swim, swing district which voted for Trump, Sean Patrick Maloney from the Hudson Valley, who is also seeking the nomination for New York State Attorney General. He'll be here later. Joining us now are the co-hosts of our podcast, Trump Inc., Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Ilya. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Well, we thought we invited you on for today to talk about the Manafort <laughs> verdicts, then boom. How much are we waking up in a post-August 21st new world? What an hour on, a, on an afternoon in August between 4 and 5 p.m. when two of the people who were most closely connected to President Trump's campaign victory were convicted both of eight counts, both of them involving tax fraud, both of them involving misrepresentations to banks. And in Michael Cohen's case, he outlines what sure looks like a criminal conspiracy to violate campaign finance law. So it was a dramatic moment in the courtroom in Manhattan listening to Michael Cohen uh, accept his plea of guilty knowing at the same time that the Manafort jury could be coming back. And of course, I didn't know that until after I was out of the courtroom. But that is what happened. And the way that the counts were with Michael Cohen, who first says, yes, I, I didn't declare my income and I did these things. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking about the 2016 campaign when he says, I did this crime, i.e. suppressing what the women were saying, paying money to suppress it, at the direction of the candidate. 
And then the judge stopped him and said, well, did you do this knowing it was illegal and wrong? And there was a sigh and a pause. And Michael Cohen said, yes, your honor. And this was the moment at which it felt like Michael Cohen, who was a pleading guilty to a, a wide assortment of crimes in his past, some involving New York real estate, taxi medallions, a Birkin bag that he sold, a very expensive handbag, and didn't de- declare a broker's fee that hmm. he had charged for brokering the sale of a Birkin bag. All of this. And then suddenly we get to the point where he said, I did a crime to win the 2016 election at the direction of the candidate for public office. And that was really a, a stunning turn in all of these investigations and in everything that people have been talking about for two years now involving Donald Trump, the Russians, collusion, and then all of a sudden it ends up with this moment in federal court in Manhattan. And so listeners, our lines are open. First, for anything you want to ask to understand the complexities of this, because probably most of you are not doing what Andrea and I presume Ilya and I were doing. Well, you were in the courtroom, Andrea, uh, but I think probably Ilya, you and I and so many who work in this business were sort of glued to our televisions or cable TV audio apps, in my case, as I was running around town um, watching this incredible several hours unfold where the Manafort conviction and the Cohen plea and then reactions to them and then Trump's appearance in West Virginia at his rally with his first reaction all came one after another after another, um, changing our world. So listeners, anything you want to ask Andrea or Ilya, to clarify details of this for yourself. I'm sure others would appreciate those questions if you frame them. 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692, or anything you think about the post-August 21st world that we're now living in and its implications. 212-433-9692. So, Legal analysts are saying it's unusual that Cohen pleaded guilty without officially entering into a cooperation agreement with prosecutors, while at the same time, Cohen's lawyer is going on television to tell prosecutors he's got something to offer. So here is Cohen's lawyer, Lanny Davis, on Rachel Maddow last night, responding to a question about whether Cohen has spoken to special counsel Robert Mueller's team. I can't tell you the answer to that question about contacts between Michael and the special counsel, but I can tell you that um, Mr. Cohen has knowledge on certain subjects that should be of interest to the special counsel and is more than happy to tell the special counsel all that he knows, not just about the obvious uh, possibility of a conspiracy to collude and corrupt the American democracy system in the 2016 election, which the Trump Tower meeting was all about, but also knowledge about the computer crime of hacking and whether or not uh, Mr. Trump knew ahead of time about that crime and even cheered it on. And we know he publicly cheered it on, but did he also have private information? 
Lonnie Davis representing Michael Cohen. So, Ilya, what's up with Cohen not having a cooperation agreement while seeming to publicly offer cooperation? Right. Well, so not having a cooperation agreement does not preclude cooperation happening. It just means that they have not addressed it for the purposes of the plea that Michael Cohen entered yesterday. And what's more, uh, Cohen will not be sentenced until December, I believe. So that is many months in which the Mueller team may wish to speak with Michael Cohen, may wish to talk with him about the millions of pieces of evidence that have been seized from his home and his hotel and his office that they are surely sifting through right now. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's I, I don't think it's possible to look at what is happening and suppose that Michael Cohen will not cooperate. I also think that it, this is something that is done. People plead guilty because prosecutors convince them that they if they went to trial, they could be found guilty of a whole lot more than they plead guilty to. That is a run of the mill kind of guilty plea that happens every day in federal court and in state courts around the country. So it is not a shock that such a thing would happen, especially in light of such a fast moving investigation that Michael Cohen would choose to say, okay, I want to plead guilty to this set of crimes and put a box around what I can be found convicted of. So it isn't shocking. And there is a lot that can happen. But I, I do think it's important to, to you know, as Ilya said, to understand that it, cooperation could happen. One other thing about Lanny Davis, Lanny Davis was not one of the lawyers who stood up and represented Michael Cohen in court yesterday. He had two lawyers that more commonly handle criminal cases. So two other lawyers were at the forefront of that piece of this prosecution. So there may there may be more chapters. I mean, one other thing that was very, very striking to me is in reading the the charging documents is just how how this sort of filtered its way through the Trump organization, that there were, according to the documents, there were emails, there were meetings with one or more members of the campaign to discuss these payments. And then there is a whole lengthy set of procedures beginning in 2017 to reimburse Michael Cohen for having made these payments. Several people, again, in the Trump organization, in the president's business, were involved in making these payments. And let's just remember the president said, I am creating a wall between myself and my business. I am turning over my business to my sons, Don Jr. and Eric, and to my CFO, Alan Weisselberg, whose name we heard in that piece of tape. And after that happens, these individuals are approving these payments to Michael Cohen for what the charging documents say they knew were not legal fees, that they knew that they were these hush money payments. Um, and I think it's important to note that the other part of that statement that we played by Lanny Davis, maybe we should call Lanny Davis Cohen's TV lawyer, like we call <laughs> well, he's a member of his legal team, Giuliani, <laughs> Trump's <Right>. TV lawyer. <laughs> um, but he suggested that Cohen knows big things that the special counsel would want to know, like about when the president knew about the Trump Tower meeting offering dirt on Hillary Clinton, which was offered as part of the Russian government's interest in helping Trump win. That email, you know, surfaced a year ago, stating it was to help the Russian government help Trump. But do you have reason to believe that Cohen, who we think of in relation to hush money to silence women, that Cohen would actually know about things 
like that kind of international intrigue, too. Well, Cohen was Donald Trump's right-hand guy for a really, really long time. He was walking in and out of the office all the time. So any thing is possible. And it would be reasonable to suppose that he would know a great deal. He also had a campaign email address, which we learned from uh, his guilty plea yesterday. So that's a new thing. But on the Trump Tower meeting, I think there's a very interesting question about that meeting. If, as Cohen, if, if as Davis has suggested earlier, Cohen is willing to suggest, is willing to say that Trump had advance notice of the Trump Tower meeting, that's hugely significant. Let's also consider Paul Manafort, who completed guilty, who, excuse me, was convicted yesterday, was in that Trump Tower meeting. He was probably the most knowledgeable person in that meeting about Russian lawyers and Russian law and the kinds of things that would be on a Kremlin-connected lawyer's agenda. Paul Manafort once had an office in Moscow. So both of these cases are so tantalizing, we can't quite see the outlines of the collusion, but we can see a lot of possible avenues. Um, one other thing before we go to some phone calls, Trump's only tweet on this, as of an hour ago, anyway, I don't have it up on my screen right here, but as of an hour ago, Trump's only tweet was, if anyone is looking for a good lawyer, I would strongly suggest that you don't retain the services of Michael Cohen. <laughs> that is Trump's only comment on this so far. And, of course, this stands in contrast uh, to what Trump said about Cohen after the uh, raid on Cohen's offices to gather evidence in this case. So I just heard that uh, they broke into the office of one of my personal attorneys, good man, and uh, it's a disgraceful situation. It's a total witch hunt. I've been saying it for a long time. So actually, here's another, here's another tweet. And of course, we should say that they didn't break in to Cohen's office. They had a search warrant. Um, Cohen said they were polite. <laughs> he did. So here's another tweet from a few minutes ago. Michael Cohen. Sorry, this just popped on my screen. Let me get it back. Um, it says, Michael Cohen pleads guilty to two counts of campaign finance violations that are not a crime. President Obama had a big campaign finance violation, and it was easily settled. Now, we're going to have an actual legal analyst, our Jamie Floyd, come in later, so we'll ask her that question. But to the extent that either of you can do it, uh, this is news. Trump is describing Michael Cohen pleading guilty to something that is not a crime. Well, he, he says it's not a crime. I mean, it's laid out pretty clearly in the charging documents that per federal election campaign crime, uh, law, you cannot make contributions in excess of certain amounts, and you cannot try to influence the course of a campaign through large personal cash, cash contributions. And Michael Cohen said, I induced a company, we're talking about the owners of the National Enquirer, to make a payment to one woman, and I myself made a payment to another woman. And, you know, let, let's just consider if Donald Trump had made those payments himself, Instead of, instead of arranging, urging this sort of elaborate payment system and a reimbursement system, none of this might have happened. It's perfectly fine to spend as much money of your own wealth as you like on your campaign. It's because it was structured as a contribution, as a payment from an outside party in both of these two cases Cohen. that we have a possible crime. Or, or not as a contribution, as a, as a, as a secret contribution, that, that secret contributions were made. I mean, 
President well, Trump he, may say it's not a crime, but yes. yesterday in federal court, the federal judge, the prosecutors, the defense attorneys, and Michael Cohen all stood up and said, I committed a crime. So that is President Trump's interpretation. I mean, I think the context is he's flailing here because this is not part of Mueller's investigation. He is not, you know, this is not the 13 angry Democrats. This happened in the Southern District of New York under the watch of a U.S. attorney who Trump appointed, who Trump personally interviewed before he appointed. That that U.S. attorney, Jeffrey Berman, was recused, but then his deputy— He, he recused himself because he was appointed by Trump, but his deputy— But his deputy, Robert Kuzami, who was also appointed after Jeffrey Berman took office, is the one who prosecuted this case. So this is a, a separate endeavor. And also, President Trump has been saying no collusion, no collusion, no collusion for all these years now, but this is not about— collusion. This is about campaign finance violations. Just want to say one other thing on what Michael Cohen may know. We know that he was negotiating a deal to build a Trump Tower Moscow during several months of this crucial period, something that President Trump also tried to keep secret from the public for a long, long time. This was during the 2016 campaign. During the campaign that Michael Cohen was in charge of these negotiations. So we know that about him. And then we know from this picture that is emerging from these charging documents of what happened in the Trump organization, that there were phone calls, there were emails, there was the campaign on one floor of Trump Tower and the Trump organization on another floor. And people were going up and downstairs and people were doing Trump organization business and they were doing campaign business, and it all got mixed together, that looks like it is now becoming a very big problem for Donald Trump, the president. And here's another Trump tweet from a few minutes ago comparing Cohen and Manafort. He says, uh, unlike Michael Cohen, Manafort refused to break, make up stories in order to get a deal. And then he writes about Manafort, such respect for a brave man. So I think we see at least the beginnings of Trump's political defense, because uh, it's not a legal defense, it's a political defense. Um, unlike Michael Cohen, he refused to break, make up stories in order to get a deal. So he's accusing Cohen of making this all up. Yeah. And I think uh, anybody who reads that, the the P word is going to pop into their head, pardon. You wonder, does Michael Cohen get a pardon out of all of this? I, I have no idea whether he will or not, but obviously Cohen still enjoys, uh, excuse me, obviously Manafort enjoys the re- continued respect of the president, right. which uh, Michael Cohen does not. Uh, Andrea and I both were, were in that Alexandria courtroom. We both covered that trial. Um, it is a persistent question why Paul Manafort fought the charges rather than taking a plea. He was convicted on eight out of 18 counts in the end. Um, And he goes to trial again next month in D.C. on even more serious charges of uh, of conspiracy and money laundering. My guests are the co-hosts of our Trump Inc. podcast, Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz, and Melissa in Jackson Heights. You're on WNYC. Hi, Melissa. Hi, I just had a a question. I hope it's not too idiotic, but I was wondering what um, becomes of the material that Judge Kimball Wood was reviewing from 
uh, Cohen's office and the special master report that was just issued. Now that he's pled guilty, is um, is that material no longer germane? Anyway, I'll take my answer off the air. Well, I mean, it appears to have been very germane to the charges that were filed. So far as we know, the charges were filed on the basis of evidence that was seized in that search warrant. But I think she's asking if there are all kinds of other things, more phone call recordings of Trump and Cohen, but this time they're talking about Russian collusion or whatever other financial crimes Trump may have committed, if any, in any of those categories, um, because this plea deal has already been concluded and the any of those other possible pieces of evidence are not relevant to the plea deal, I think she's asking, what becomes of those now? Well, they're in the hands of prosecutors. I mean, they've now put a box around the crimes that Michael Cohen says he's guilty of. So if there are other threads, we may never know. On the other hand, as we were discussing, if there are further discussions with Bob Mueller's prosecutors about additional charges, some of it could become relevant again. Also, this information belongs to Michael Cohen, so he is able to release any of it that he wants the public to know about at any time or any other prosecutors. I mean, he he also controls it as well as the Southern District. Michael and Woodbridge, you're on WNYC. Hi, Michael. Uh, thank you for uh, having me. I just wanted to say that Michael Cohen was uh, had all these charges against him. And, of course, he's going to try and say that Trump did something illegally so he can get out of it. How gullible are these people? I don't get it. But, you know, Michael, there's that tape, for example, that we played of Cohen and Trump on the phone arranging this payment, uh, one of the payments that are in question. So there's evidence that Trump did what Michael Cohen says he did, right? I, under, I understand that. But Trump did not hold a knife or a gun to him and say that you're doing it an illegal act. Donald Trump's not a lawyer. He didn't know. He was trying to cover his butt. Sure, he slept with them ladies and was trying to get it out. You know what? He it has it. nothing to do with what's going on in this world. It really doesn't. It who he slept with, who he paid off to not sleep with. You know what I'm saying? It's just sad that people are so gullible because he was going to be thrown in jail for all these charges, so he's singing like Canary and he's making stuff up. Well, if he is making stuff up, then he could be charged with perjury, which the judge made quite clear to Michael Cohen yesterday that when he stood up in court, if you don't tell the truth, you could be charged with additional crimes. So there is that. If you are a candidate running a campaign and a criminal violation of campaign finance law has occurred, the implication is you may be responsible. Now, it's a whole other separate question, which I know you're going to discuss later in the show, what President Trump's legal situation is now. Mm -hmm. But it is a... uh, you know, now we know from Michael Cohen, from what he said, I mean, you cannot stand up in federal court and make up things. You know, John and John Edwards, the Democratic candidate for president some years ago, was charged with similar crimes. There was, I believe, a mistrial in that case. But these, this is this is 
stuff that has been tried before. Making these are these are not new kinds of violations. Specifically, illegal campaign donations. Also, to cover up an affair. To cover up an affair. Correct. Hiding it because it's covering up. Ironically, an reported but, in the National Enquirer. But when we get into the politics of now of this now, and Michael, we really appreciate your call. Um, there are going to be a lot of Michaels in Woodbridge around the country who will say, yeah, so what? We know this about Donald Trump. He probably slept with those women, though Trump denies it to this day. Um, it probably made those hush money payments, but that's not relevant to what's going on in the world. Michael said something very much like that. So if we're worried about immigration, if we're worried about Russia and Iran, if we're worried about the big things in the world, um, the political argument probably on, you know, if if political analysts are looking for that 35 or 40 percent solid Trump base to start eroding, it either will or it won't. But if it doesn't, partly it's because people will say, yeah, we know, you know, Trump's kind of a sleazy guy, uh, but he's our sleazy guy who's working on behalf of us while the elite Democrats aren't. Well. That may be the case. What was striking to me yesterday is Robert Kuzami, and again, he is an appointee that was made under the current Trump Justice Department, the the deputy U.S. attorney in the Southern District, that he stood up and he said, what today's actions in court show is that we are a nation of laws and that you cannot violate laws with impunity. Now, this is standard issue stuff. I've heard prosecutors say that over and over again. But I think we are a moment at a moment in history where that feels like a question, in large part because of what the president says. Are right. we a nation of laws? Are we all governed by a common set of understanding? Oh, and, and what so, was so striking and, and yesterday... Are, but, and Trump's <laughs> argument in this tweet this morning is when he brings up that Obama had a big campaign finance violation and it was easily settled. Now, I don't know, we'll have to look it up, the size of that. In this case, it's $280,000 of an illegal campaign donation directed by Trump. Um, and uh, I don't know how big the Obama campaign was, but not every campaign finance violation, which many campaigns find themselves guilty of in one way or another, wind up being described as high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, they don't all involve the kind of coordination that appears to have happened here. And one more thing in response to the caller, uh, I uh, frankly agree. I mean, I think I think this feels far from the Russia investigation, perhaps, and perhaps it may not matter to a lot of people if, uh, if, if a hush money payment was made when so much else is at stake. But Michael Cohen can't just sing and make up crimes and get convictions. It doesn't work that way in our justice system. You have to have corroborating witnesses, evidence, documentation to support those potential crimes. That's where convictions come from. So I do think it would be a mistake to suggest that Michael Cohen is going to make things up out of whole cloth and bring down the presidency. It, it is impossible for it to work that way. Raj in Middlesex County. You're on WNYC. Hi, Raj. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. So I, I have a slightly different twist to this whole thing. One is I, I agree with this whole discussion about political versus versus legal, right? Because politically, you're right. Everybody might say uh, he, he broke the law. So what? You know, put, put Hillary in jail, but this guy, no, he's our guy, and, and we like him, and, and everything that he does is fine, and we, we're going to live with it. Mm -hmm. But I have a bigger question is that legally speaking, also, at this point of time, 
either the Justice Department, because they have a policy or written or unwritten or the rule, which says that a sitting president cannot be indicted. And also the fact that at this point of time, he there is really no clear, clear precedent in terms of what can or cannot be a sitting president do. The only option that is there so far that I'm aware of is the House of Representatives. And so long as the House of Representatives is controlled by David Nunes and company, who refuse to believe that they need to even ask the question. And on the contrary, they are breaking as far mm -hmm. as I'm aware. I may be partial or, or every possible president and giving the information from the uh, you know legislative body to the executive body. What, where does it, I mean, what does it all mean, actually? Right. Maybe comes to nothing. Raj, thank you so much. So, Andrea, to Raj's question, I'm going to ask you, now that you've been wearing your investigative reporter's hat so far this half hour, to put on your political analyst hat uh, and tell me if there are any indications yet that what New York Times conservative columnist Brett Stevens tweeted this morning has any resonance among House Republicans uh, that this changes the impeachment question for Brett Stevens, that he used to say, no, don't focus on impeachment. Now, he, as a conservative, believes that Trump committed high crimes and misdemeanors and should resign or be impeached. Any indication yet where this goes in the Republican House? Well, if past is prologue, then the answer is that this will be the same, that it will be dismissed. And when, when Speaker Ryan was asked about this yesterday, he said, well, I need to, to read the documents, essentially. So That's fair. I, I think that we don't really have any reason to believe that this Republican House at this moment is going to change course, particularly with these sensitive elections coming up. What happens after that, I think, depends a lot on what happens with the election. I do want to say that I think it is in both of these cases. I mean, one of the things that was stunning about this, just sort of pulling back for a moment from the campaign violence, uh, campaign finance violations, is the issue of the rule of law. Both Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen are now in the eyes of the law, guilty of stealing, in Michael Cohen's case, $1.5 million from the U.S. taxpayers. In Paul Manafort's case, also millions of dollars from the U.S. taxpayers. And, you know, think about if somebody walked into your house and stole millions of dollars. You think that we would think that was bad. There are so many shell companies involved in these white-collar crimes. They're so hard to trace. There were so many shell companies involved in these campaign finance hush money situations. And this does show that you, one, can be held accountable in a court of law for this kind of violation. I think that is also a significant moment in American history, particularly at this moment where there is so much whataboutism. What about what Obama did? Why should what I did be taken seriously when somebody else did this thing? Well, up to now in our country, there has been a standard. If you violate the law, you should be held to account. It has been... in if anything, underapplied when it comes to white-collar crime. So I think that there's this is a watershed moment in that you can't just do these things. That's the message, at least for today. And I want to I want to remind the listener too. There are other there are loss, active lawsuits against Trump and the Trump Organization right now. There's one here in New York uh, concerning the Trump Foundation. That's going to get going in October. So 
uh, whether there's an impeachment or not, and, and that's something for really for legal scholars to discuss. Uh, that case, the Summer Zervos case, which is a defina- defamation suit against the president, that is also proceeding. So the like legal storm clouds remain, and they're gathering. I will just note that about half our caller board is Trump supporters saying various versions of so what or this all was launched illegitimately through the origins of the Mueller investigation dossier uh, 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 warrant, search warrant, FISA, blah, 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 uh, one, one way or another. So just a little, you know, totally unscientific sample of that there are people out there ready to say, no, 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 this is nothing. And Fox News through all this yesterday spent much more time on the case of a college student whose body was found murdered and her alleged killer was a Mexican national named Rivera who's here illegally. So don't look that the president of the United States uh, has been charged with directing crimes. Look at the bad dark people and that's not over because of what uh, I am what sure happened not. yesterday. I am sure that the misdirection that we have <clears throat> been living in that you shouldn't look at some crimes because some other crime may have occurred is not going to stop. What may happen is this may give pause to and may affect the course of investigations as they go forward and people's decisions. Michael Cohen, in his rather spectacular guilty plea yesterday, set a standard. I mean, he was somebody who was so close to President Trump in every way that he did this is the significance cannot be underestimated because he was somebody who was in charge. He was a bag man. He was in charge of transferring payments to protect his client. Bag men don't usually sing or, in the words of President Trump, act like rats. But Michael Cohen yesterday in court had this sort of, you know, with the size and the pauses and the body language and him saying, yes, I am a lawyer. I understand the law. I understand what I did was wrong. That was a significant moment. One reason that, you know, we created the Trump Inc. podcast and we're coming back for season two next month, by the way, uh, so please listen, is, is precisely because we wanted to step away for a, for a little bit from the political question, witch hunt, is this fair, is this not fair, is Robert Mueller out of control, and actually try to understand the implications of a active businessman president who is bringing his own business associates and people with their own active business networks to Washington who have enormous influence on him and how policy is made. Uh, so, uh, so for callers who are skeptical, please listen to our podcast. Please also think about, try th- think about thinking about things that way. So before you go, precisely to that point, let me play one more clip from the prosecutor's announcement of Cohen's guilty plea yesterday. And this is relevant to what your podcast, Trump Inc., is usually about, Trump's business operations, rather than his politics per se. This is Deputy U.S. Attorney here in Manhattan, Robert Kuzami, on the Cohen guilty plea. Mr. Cohen pled guilty to two campaign finance charges, one for causing an unlawful corporate contribution, and a second one for personally making an excessive personal contribution, both for the purpose of influencing the 2016 election. In addition, what he did was he worked to pay money to silence two women who had information 
that he believed would be detrimental to the 2016 campaign and to the candidate and the campaign. In addition, Mr. Cohen uh, sought reimbursement uh, for that money by submitting info invoices to the candidate's company, which were untrue and false. They indicated that the reimbursement was for services rendered for the year 2017, when in fact those invoices were a sham. He provided no legal services for the year 2017, and it was simply a means to obtain reimbursement for the unlawful campaign contribution. The prosecutor in the Cohen case yesterday. So, Ilya, it's the last part of that. It's the fraudulent invoices to the candidate's company to get reimbursement for these illegal campaign contributions. So if the president of the United States cannot be indicted while in office, and I know that's a matter of dispute, but if he can't, what about his corporation that he supposedly turned over to his sons? Well, that's a fascinating question to look into. I think we are learning so much about the corporation right now, just in the course of the past few months. And I direct people again to the Trump organization, uh, excuse me, the Trump Foundation lawsuit, which this concerned uh, charitable, uh, charitable, charitable activities of the Trump Foundation during the campaign. And if you read that lawsuit, and if you read some of the partial transcripts from Alan Weisselberg, the CFO of the Trump Organization, you, co you come quickly to the conclusion that the Trump, Trump Foundation was run as a branch of the Trump Organization, the for-profit business, and pretty much everything was run at the personal direction of Donald Trump. He would say, move money here, take money from there, and put it in this place, and that's what Alan Weisselberg would do. Brian, in the last season of Trump Inc., we did an episode on Michael Cohen, and one of the things that we found that was so striking is that for 20 years, Michael Cohen has had a series of business partners and business associates who have been convicted, arrested, disbarred. It is an incredible trail, and one of the things we wondered was, will it ever catch up to him? Well, Yesterday, it did, and now it puts the spotlight on his former boss, President Trump. Will it catch up with him? You can find that episode at trumpincpodcast.org. And as Ilya said, our next season is coming next month. Our Trump Inc. podcast co-host, Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks.